Forward, a Fiserv podcast, features conversations with the people moving financial services and commerce forward. Here's your host, Jason Hendricks, with Fintech Forge. Today on the Fiserv Forward podcast, the robots are coming. They aren't coming for your cheese, however. Jamie DeHaven, Senior Vice President, Director of Enterprise Delivery Services at First Foundation Bank, and I talk about the robotic process automation revolution the importance of rethinking strategies and processes, and the cultural changes necessary to build a data-driven organization. Jamie, RPA is a hot topic these days. I'm curious, when did First Foundation begin working with it? About a year ago, um, we had put in quite a big initiative to uh, go under an automation uh, strategy, I guess you'd call it. And first came, however, our data governance and change management collaboration kind of controls that we had to kind of set the foundation. And then through that process, we realized we still had some integration gaps, I call it, between some of our applications that were kind of core to delivery. So we ended up kind of looking at different alternatives, um, and one of which became RPA. Well, I'm curious, who came first? Was it the business coming to you and saying, we need automation? Was it back office? Was it the tech team or your team on delivery? You, who kind of kicked that off a year ago? Um, I definitely say that's probably our, we have uh, developed a group called Integration Frameworks Management. And the need for that group was because we had to look at everything from an enterprise standard and we brought in a data warehouse and we brought in an enterprise service engine that we developed with Fiserv. Uh, my group worked with the business units to do a lot of business process transformation. And as we started to learn more about what businesses were doing, we started to see that there was a very common problem they were all facing. Um, and that was lack of, of some very key integration handoffs that were requiring them to then supplement with a lot of manual resources. So we started looking at those processes and seeing where RPA would make sense and where stronger, I guess, more direct API type integration or XML messaging would be required. Talk to me about this framework you set up, because I think a, a lot of banks aren't sure where to start. And it can, you know, frankly, be a little bit overwhelming when you're getting into this. So how did you go about setting up that strategy in the framework with Fiserv? So we obviously use a lot of Fiserv applications, and we were starting to see where just simple things like reporting, when we needed channel data or reports to see what services our clients were using, or just actually managing client service requests uh, that was becoming quite an undertaking just to drive enterprise standards that were scalable and as we grew and we brought in new employees we're bringing in you know a couple hundred employees at a time through acquisitions and whatnot we didn't have a very strong training program to then you know make sure those we could onboard those employees and they could hit the ground running because the processes weren't scalable so we started looking at how could we kind of help this environment of employee enablement and employee engagement and making sure that if we bring in, you know, two, 300 employees at a time, we have processes that we could scale not only to make sure the clients don't see a hiccup in the service delivery, but also we could make sure to get them on board to hit the ground running and they could be plugged into our environment uh, much more effectively. It was also a communication standard and governance that we had to kind of lay the the scape for so that everybody kind of knew this is how First Foundation engages. This is how we manage announcements. This is how we collaborate. This is how we deploy change control. All of those things collectively 
ended up impacting the customers if we did not build the processes correctly. So we had to build a scalable foundation and get better control of our data to drive process. It's interesting you bring up that it's about employee enablement and empowerment because I think there's this shared belief and not the least of which because some uh, high profile uh, bank CEOs have said RPA is going to replace upwards of 25% of the workforce, but you're kind of saying the opposite, that this is about taking your workers and it helps them versus eliminates them. Can you talk a little bit about that? Sure. I think there was a lot of, empl- I guess, new employees that we brought in, obviously, plus existing employees. There, there was almost kind of two battles to fight there. One was, are the employees that we have today able to do have reusable processes that was that were scalable so that we could even service the, the clients that we're bringing on? Two was the other aspect of bringing in the employees from other, um, other institutions and making them part of our culture. And we definitely wanted to build a culture where we not only enabled our employees to have, I guess, suggestions, or if something doesn't look like it's being done right, or there's a better way to do it, we wanted to definitely build a culture where people felt engaged and empowered to be part of the solution. That to us led them to believe they add more value to the organization. And ultimately, they're the ones that do a lot of the doing, if you will, and executions mm-hmm. and, and front end of the clients. So we definitely want to make their jobs more rewarding and we wanted to show them they added value outside of a lot of times those people who do the, a lot of those <laughs> repetitive maintenance type things, they really only see their value when they make a mistake because then everybody jumps their case about some customer impact that they created. So it, it kind of worked, I guess, a little differently than we thought it would. We thought there might be a lot more employees uh, dragging their feet on RPA, feeling like it was a job security threat. And really what we found is, is probably the exact opposite. We had a lot of employees who said, can we do something different here? Can we build uh-huh. a bot for this? And, and that was actually showed us, you know, kind of where the cream rose to the top. Those employees that were open to looking at is I want to do other things in the organization. If I don't get out of doing this maintenance every day, I'm stuck <laughs> yeah. doing this, you know, for five years. Which is job security, but it is, you know, sucking the life out of you to do something over and over again manually what RPA was really designed to do. Right. You set up the framework and developed the strategy. Can we talk a little bit about the foundational elements that you needed to put in? And then how did you decide where to prioritize, you know, of the infinite number of things that you just described, you know, across the organization? How did you go about, you know, picking, you know, there has to be a first. Um, What was the actual first and how did you come to that conclusion? I think once we got the actual uh, data governance, the change control, all the, I guess, the foundation I would call to launch better business processes and standardize them across the organization, it then became what processes do we feel are still have an integration gap between, you know, applications, maintenance, sitting in queues that number one impacts some of our most high, high, I guess, most important, I will call it, or high net worth or clients that obviously, you know, have a lot of services running in the bank to try to eliminate service delivery issues to them. So we definitely started with client facing processes that we just felt timeliness and accuracy was most important to risk of relationship with that client. So consumer or commercial services enrollment was a big one. Um, Onboarding to make sure that we had, if they have 500 accounts with us 
if they do simple things like um, they were to add a new staff member that became an online administrator. Well, how our core system is set up, if you have uh, a large commercial client, they have 500 accounts with you. You have to go into every account to add an online admin employee for them and both to make sure that they can then go into online banking and initiate commercial services uh, like ACHs and wires and those types of things through that utility. Well, if you've got 500 accounts sitting there and you have to add that same user to 500 accounts, that could take an employee and one of our employees a couple hours. And with a bot, that became a a 20-second turnaround for that employee at our client to then be able to take off and do their job. And I've got to think in addition to that speed and that turnaround time, like there's a quality element of this, right? It's hard to do the same thing 500 times and make sure you got it right. But, you know, certainly RPA is set up for that, you know, immediately. I'm curious where else you were seeing the ROI, like what, where did the most of the business case come from? And were there any surprises once it was actually implemented? I think we've all been, and I think this is from executives down, I think we've all been really surprised with the lift it's given us, especially with the resources and being able to, I guess, reallocate uh, resources and and people who actually have a lot of knowledge, but were just buried with monotonous type tasks. I think another thing it did for us that we we did not, uh, I guess, factor in was a lot of times you say you have integration capability between applications, but a lot of it boils down to timing. So we had one example that just kind of blew us all out, which when we started the digital bank, which was uh, our channel that allows people to open accounts online. And as everybody knows, during the pandemic, that that kind of it it launched pretty fast. And that digital bank, um, those online accounts that they opened, although very good for bringing in deposits and, and new an avenue, you know, for a new channel, I guess, for onboarding and getting better relationships with the wider customer base. What we found, though, is it also opened us up to a lot of identity fraud. And what would happen is we would have uh, customers come in through the digital channel. You could never see them face to face to verify identity. So we had to get better security controls in the front. But you can't, you know, people who have malicious intent will find a way. Yes. So there was some identity problems and theft. And so what would happen is they'd open an account under a false pretenses and, and, um, you know, obviously trying to mimic someone else who was not them and they'd make it through the security through the data that they had their hands on, you know, impersonate somebody else. And then they'd turn around and use our ACH utility within the online banking to ACH those funds and try to originate an ACH out of the bank with that next day, like as soon as the opening deposit was posted. So we have integration that's batch based each evening that would go over to the AML platform and it would flag that this could be a high risk type transaction. Well, that does you no good because the money was already out the door yep. because that origination already already was posted. So what we had to do is leverage the bot to flag any of those new customers that came in that had a new relationship with us. If they had an opening deposit that day, we would send over a bot that would go flag them in the AML system to say, transaction alert, this brand new customer is trying to originate an ACH with the amount of the funds that they just deposited. So then we had the opportunity at that point, reach out, do verification. Is that a fraudulent customer request? Yes, it was. Kill that origination ACH before it went out the door. So I think the timing of getting that bot in there to actually do the integration handoff faster allowed us to get those alerts to generate that then obviously prevented us from having huge losses. 
Well, you bring up a really important point about this idea of it has to touch other parts of the ecosystem. It just doesn't exist in a stack. The folks at Pfizer have talked quite a bit about this idea around intelligent automation, that RPA is just one tool within that. Do you have a full view now? You said you were developing an automation strategy. What else besides RPA is involved in in that? Yeah, we call it kind of the enterprise service platforms that we have uh, that kind of feed into that BI process. But it, it couples everything from we have an internet that we host on SharePoint, and SharePoint is kind of key to workflow and dynamic delivery of forms and process. It's also what generates the docu-signs that go out securely to customers uh, for interaction with the customers. So SharePoint's a, a big part of the, of the backbone. Then we have CRM, which is Microsoft Dynamics. It's the Enact product from Pfizer that obviously integrates to the SharePoint environment. We have the, Preci- or the Precision Core, which is the Pfizer product that we use for the core bank processing. We have Director, uh, which is our enterprise content management platform that integrates to SharePoint. And then a big, big part of it, uh, which also is one of those that we did not see the value in it until it got here, was the data warehouse, uh, the performance data warehouse. It's a SQL. Got it. Yeah. You know, it's funny, this whole idea around data warehouses, you know, it seems like such a big expense and it's really hard to point to what's the direct ROI. You know, as bankers, we often like the, that our ROI to be very precise and very tangible. So once you actually had you know, access to the data in that environment, what sorts of benefits were you able to unlock? You know, we, I think everybody thought at first when you brought in a data warehouse, it was going to help with reporting. And I tell you the truth, I think that's how we, I, I, I'm going <laughs> to, I'm going to go ahead and say it's probably how we sold it the hardest is that if reporting. the executives couldn't, yeah. So we took it to the executives and we said, okay, all these reports you guys say you can't get because it crosses between Prolog, the GL platform, but you needed loan data that was in the core platform and you needed ADP data for headcounts, you know, over here. If we have the data warehouse, we could just build you one dashboard that brings all that in and you don't have to look through, you know, 14 different reports that are emailed to you. And so we kind of sold it that way. But what we found really the biggest lift to the warehouse was, you know, when you bring in all that channel data and you bring in all that profile data and we have five different LOSs and you bring in all, you know, the LOS information, you're able to drive a whole lot of dynamic processes through feeding that data through and and then obviously making sure your data integrity stays sound because you're using that same center of truth to feed over dynamic processes through SharePoint. So it, it definitely also bridged the gap between having to have employees trained to go to five different applications to look at a certain preview or to process a certain transaction because we were having them launch all of those aspects through SharePoint. And then we would turn around and take SharePoint and hand off with either bots or communicator advantage XML type messaging back to those applications. So I think driving the the data through the process is probably the biggest benefit we've seen with the data warehouse. And reporting was just then became a a nice to have, really. Yeah. Does the executive team realize the the value that it's coming in and that it is more than reporting now? Or is that just your little secret? Well, I think it became pretty clear to when we won the Salant Model Bank Award for the platform that we built uh, to do it. And I think it became pretty obvious to them that we did something at that point that was <laughs> unique and, and we did something right and their investment, you know, had, had a good return. So I, I think it's, it's more than proved itself. Fantastic. So let's talk a little bit more about this idea of, you know, the evolution in terms of what you've gotten into. So you've talked about, you know, you started 
by partnering with Fiserv uh, around building out the frameworks and pieces there. Can you talk more about how that uh, partnership, you know, really came to be, and what were you able to leverage from them to get up this learning curve? Um, I think from the Fiserv aspect, we we obviously have had a very good strategic, strategic relationship with them. Um, just you know, since I got there in about 2016. Um, I obviously had a lot of previous, I guess, experience with some of the Pfizer, you know, folks and applications and had been running some of their applications for years in other institutions. So when we came in and to First Foundation and we, we built out the enterprise delivery team, it, it became very obvious. And I always put a lot of pressure on Pfizer that to me, integration is your niche and where we have integration gaps, we need a strategy. And we were growing fast and bringing in a lot of new products and applications and services, especially on the client front end. But I could see a problem forming and that we just we didn't have a good integration strategy. So that's when we kind of broke my team up into different, I guess, task force with Fiserv. We partnered with various client partners and service managers on different lines of business on Fiserv because obviously they're a lot bigger than we are. So not every client does it the same. So I could see mm-hmm. why they couldn't mirror us, but we had to start bringing in the right people on the Fiserv side to build task force, if you will, to tackle these integration challenges. We had every product under the sun. The gap we had was we needed the integration. So that's mm-hmm. where we we pretty much partnered pretty heavily with Fiserv to to draw that picture for them. And then obviously used a lot of their resources to help bridge those gaps. Well, and so what kind of resources did you need on your side and what was supplemented by Fiserv in terms of if you were to line you know, these task force or teams up against each other, who sat in which chair? I, I think my integration framework management team is what I call our solution architects. So they're the ones that kind of tackled our side of the house as far as working with the business units on the various applications to determine what their processes are. And then they are the group that they queue up all of the development. So anything that's coming into the data warehouse, any of the SharePoint development uh, for process is managed, uh, I guess, kind of cohesively between integration framework management and our BI delivery team. Now, when it crosses over to the core bank applications, we pull in core delivery. So my, my departments work in tandem daily on objectives on an enterprise level to just make gain efficiencies, gain better processes straight through. But on the Fiserv side, we ended up creating a pretty strong strategic relationship with their COE team, uh, the developers, especially on the SharePoint, the data warehouse, um, and a lot of the ESF resources for the communicator advantage, the middleware component that handles a lot of that integration. So depending on the different project, um, obviously, in some cases, if it was a client-facing product, we'd bring in our product delivery group, which is outside of my line of sight. But they're a strong business unit uh, that manages a lot of the mobile delivery and digital delivery of clients. So the product delivery group on our side got brought in a lot. But then on the Pfizer side, like I said, it really just depended on where we're, where our integration needs were, kind of where the delivery or the standardization base needed to be built first. Mm. And I guess I, I can't stress that enough. I think a lot of times you hear people talk about, well, we have this process, it doesn't work, you know, we're just going to, do you think we should go build the bot? I hear it a lot from my different bank contacts, whatnot. But I know these people well enough to know, and I know they don't have maybe a good standard for data governance and change mm. control. And I'm like, Creating a bot to automate a bad process is is just that. You're automating a bad process that probably shouldn't have been there to begin with. So I don't think, even though, yes, you could build a bot to do it, 
you got to back up a little bit because there's other underlying problems there where building a bot is just going to come back and bite you later because yeah. you didn't do homework on the back end to make sure you had a sound foundation to launch and you don't have enterprise standards. So I think sometimes the cart becomes before the horse a little bit there. Yeah. Well, in when you automate a bad process, you've just accelerated the level of badness and allowed it to continue to propagate across the organization. I'm curious what other lessons learned you would share for the audience that in retrospect, either things that you wish you knew when you started, like things like making sure you had good governance and you've already mentioned you know, the need to think through the frameworks and the processes that are being done that we're just not... I'm very fond of saying putting digital lipstick on an analog pig. So now you're talking about the robotic version of that. What else would you you share that you've learned? I would say just the the coordination, I think, between business units, they have a tendency, depending on what their management style was or line of business, you know, lending from deposits to retail to whatnot. Our administrative areas like HR and accounting have a tendency to kind of, they kind of beat to their own drum. They're, they're governed differently. They're definitely managed differently. They don't deal with clients a lot. So when it came to getting those groups in, in the fold, I guess, and, and trying to bring enterprise standardization to those areas, I think where one area we could have done better or probably in hindsight do much better now than we did initially was they, this was all new to them. So when we would start talking to them about, okay, we're going to build you out a team collaboration site and in SharePoint. And now we are talking about automating a lot of your reporting. Well, they had heard that there's bots out there and that we could just automate this process where we go into, let's say an application, we pull down a report 15 times in different views filtered. And then we want to email it out to all these business units and then you know, deliver it to them that way. And I said, well, what did they do with them after that? Well, we don't know. And it's almost like, you know, we don't know. And we didn't really care. We just helped automate our side of the house. I'm like, okay, so I think we need to take a look at the whole process end to end and say, okay, when those people get those reports, what are they doing with them? Because that's not our standard on how we want to disseminate data. And that's not our standard for that. So getting, I guess, the the buy-in organization wide we kind of started on the clients the client facing areas but when we really looked at it when we got down the road a little further we started realizing how these one these areas did more administrative areas that weren't really plugged in to the front lines of this enterprise kind of initiative that we were you know building out all these standards they still had a lot of process handoffs to the back office that they had no idea we were building this this kind of enterprise framework over here that was going to automate all these things. And it almost became, well, why were we last? Well, well <laughs> you weren't client facing. I mean, and yeah. now we realize they had all these handoffs to the back end that we could have automated probably better along the way. But we kind of went where they were buying first and focused on client facing things. We probably could have scaled it differently um, and got them in sooner, if you will, to the idea. But you know, we, we only had, you know, so much bandwidth and, and so much time in between, you know, acquisitions and, and different deployments projects were always still happening. So I don't know if there was a right or a wrong there. It just, 
it became yeah. obvious to them at that point, we weren't going to rebuild, you know, bots to deliver maintenance to somebody else. We were going to take a look at the whole process end to end and decide if at the end of the day, a bot was needed. It really wasn't. We just changed the whole process of how they disseminated their reports. All that data was in the warehouse. We started publishing to Power BI dashboards. Stop downloading filtered canned reports and emailing them anywhere. We don't want attachments, you know, yes. exchange. Kill the attachments. Exactly. It really requires in essence, partnering with the business because you can't, it's easy to just say, hey, let's throw technology at it. But you're bringing a strategic lens as well that it isn't just the technology, but the thinking through you know, the process. Because I love your story about eliminating the attachments and we're changing the way we work. And RPA is a supplement to that. Can you talk a little bit more about how you strategically partner with the business lines? Yeah. I think for some areas, like I said, the, the change is easier for some than others. And I think also you kind of have to have a negotiation there with them on the value proposition of what you're trying to bring to them. It is going to require some of them to feel like you're moving a lot of their cheese. And mm. what we had to kind of work on is obviously there's some control factors in some areas feel like they're losing control if their people aren't touching it, handing it off. They're not doing the QC. When you start to see how you could help them see how you what you're proposing to them based on everything you've looked to dissect their process, how you can help give their resources back, you know, other value propositions to, you know, be reallocated to something else, or you can eliminate uh, certain risk things that they're doing that they don't even really need to be involved in. Some managers, you know, manage through change and adapt to change differently than others. Some view change as or automation as a loss of control. So I think if you can get over the hurdle that you still retain complete control of the process and not to mention that's, I guess, one thing I cannot stress enough to business units also is just because my group went and built a bot for something does not mean that that automatically then assumes that's our process. Okay. Yep. So if in the case we do an application upgrade to, uh, to one of the platforms and let's say the regression testing wasn't done and something caused the bot to stop working. Yes, it's documented in the bot what the bot was doing, but you still own that process. So that does not mean that you can't, there's people on then your staff that own that process that if that bot for an, has a disruption of some kind, that we're the ones responsible to make sure that process is picked back up manually and it's done those things happen. So you still have to make sure that even though they feel like they're losing control of the maintenance, they still own the process. And if something happens and when there is a disruption to the bot, that's still their process to own. So they mm. still have to make sure they have a contingency plan there in the case there's an application upgrade done or a data element that's missing and it causes the bot disruption we'll give them the alert and we'll tell them that there's an issue with the bot. We're working on it. But in the meantime, what's your contingency plan? Because you still have to process these requests. Yeah. And so in close, you've talked quite a bit about how you've been able to leverage Fiserv across the board and in this partnership specifically. Is there anything else you know, that banks might be missing that the Fiserv as an asset is there that you, you know, banks might just be uh, unaware of that they should be leveraging as a resource? Pfizer to me, obviously, is, has bridged a lot, of, a lot of gaps for us on a lot of the technology side, especially for the developers. Um, the SharePoint group, the COE team that we work with, the, the business technology group there, 
uh, now more of the integration services group. Um, I, I think there's a lot of people that don't know they exist. Um, mm -hmm. And we have RPA developers, we have SharePoint developers, we have data warehouse developers. Um, they also, you know, we now start working with a lot of the digital channel groups on initiatives of deploying a new crypto buy sell product, you know, with them. So I think it's just a matter of, I think the more applications and the better strategic relationship you have with Pfizer, you get tapped in more to, to, you know, what business elements or what other services that they could provide. And obviously you want to, we tap there a lot because obviously we think that they're going to have access to the resources that know that data and know those applications the best. So we think, why not leverage resources they've got? They've got access to those people. They have access to the environments. They have access to the test environments. Those are all things we don't want to take on ourselves and have to police and scale and, and those types of things. We're hosted with 99% of the applications that we run with Fiserv. So we do not want to build out that infrastructure here. We do not want to have turnover and expertise that we have to keep on our payroll when we think that there's probably just as effective, if not more effective resources on Fiserv's side who have a lot more access to tools, people, data, environments than we do. So we do push on Fiserv a lot to kind of once in a while, I, I kind of stop and think, do we rely on them too much um, in some respects? But then I think the flip side of that is, if they weren't doing it, I'd have to figure out how to do it myself. And I go, ah, we're good. <laughs> this this works. Fantastic. Well, thank you, Jamie, for sharing your views around not just RPA and the specifics of how it can be used, but strategically. Um, it's been a fascinating conversation. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Look for future episodes of Forward at Fiserv.com slash forward and soon on major podcasting platforms.